Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. My name is Chandra, I'm your host, and I am super excited about today's episode because it's one of our last of the interview series that I've been doing this year of talking with women who have made significant career change to start their own business after the age of 40. And today's guest is someone that I actually don't know. So we are going to be exploring uh, as if we are meeting for the first time, which is fantastic. So I want to say hello. Our guest today is Tamsin Somerville. Hello, Tamsin. How are you and where are you today? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. I am in Wellington, New Zealand actually today. Oh, lovely. And is that where you're based? I am. I'm Australian, but I actually i am living over here in New Zealand at the moment. Nice. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast uh, series. I'm really looking forward to getting into your story. So maybe you can set us up by initially just letting us know what is it that you used to do for your career or for your work and what do you do now? So I worked for local and central government for 20 years. Wowzers. Yeah, I know, 20 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm 45 <laughs> with two children, gorgeous children. But yeah, 20 years in local government um, policy and strategy work. So quite a different field to what I've now moved into. Mm-hmm. That is, that's quite a commitment, 20 years. Like that's, some people would say that's like a lifetime. Yeah, and I, it was just, I was a cog in a big wheel, it yeah. just kept turning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's, that's probably a, a conversation for a whole other podcast about that one. But yeah. so what do you do now? So now I'm the founder and CEO of Vivo Bodywear, and my product is a reusable absorbent underwear for pee, periods, and perspiration. All the yeah. P's. Yes, all the P's. <laughs> okay, so that is a what I would call definitely a significant change from yes. local government policy and strategy into uh, absorbable underwear. Is this something that you, oh, there's so many questions. Where do I start? So 20 years in local government and now you're founder and CEO of your own business with a a physical product that you sell. How did that come about? Did you always imagine that you would escape the government realm and and go into business for yourself? Or was this an epiphany that happened? How did it happen? No, I think I was sort of relatively happy on my own little road of government working and I just would plodding through life quite happily, raising the children and being with the family. But then I took, at the start of this year, I took um, six weeks off work and I nice. found that, you know, for the first three weeks I was like, oh, downtime, downtime, yay, yay, yay. But then I really needed my mind to be stimulated again. Yeah. And and I found that I had a lot of mental capacity to do a lot more, you know, that before all I had time or, or energy was for reading romance novels to unwind. But now I was like, 
okay, I, I'm starting to think more creatively. I started to listening to interesting podcasts. I started to write a blog. You know, I started to give speeches in the past. You know, when people had asked, I'd said, no, thank you. And, you know, I started to focus a lot more on my health and my well-being. Yeah. And then I guess I just had a light bulb moment. And, uh, and it's a cliche, and I know that. And it was really <laughs> true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I think upon reflection, I think most of us have these potential, you know, million-dollar ideas all of the time, but we're just not in the right space or the right headspace to do anything mm-hmm. about them. But mm-hmm. I, at this time when I had it, I was. So I actually, one thing that I want to just sort of bring up is the, these six weeks off from, from work and how, yes. you know, the first two, three weeks was just great because it's like holiday mode, but then it, your brain kicked into going, hey, you know, I want to – what's out there and I want more I think it's a really good one to highlight because I think sometimes we can as human beings especially women that are kind of high achieving working women can convince ourselves that you know what I just can't wait to retire and I just want to have all this time off but for most people I reckon it is about that that three week mark where if you're not being stimulated enough with what you're doing then there's an element of boredom that kicks in and even though we fantasize about you know leaving our jobs and or winning the lotto and going and having a house up a palm tree or something you the reality is that as human beings we actually need to feel like we're growing in some way we need to feel like we're contributing and I think that's something that's actually really good to highlight that the dream isn't for most people about having nothing to do living the dream is about doing things that you actually enjoy and care about. Yeah, I totally agree. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking that you just want to do nothing, then know that that's probably good as a bit of a recharge, but it's not a destination that you would stay at. Yes. Yes. So where you you said you you know the um, cliche of you had a yes. bit of an epiphany. <laughs> so how how did this idea come to you? I well I was doing an overnight tramp with a girlfriend and all of our children and I wanted some bladder leak underwear because you know while I've got these two amazing children they did come out looking like the size of toddlers and they demolished my pelvic floor muscles <laughs> and at the time I was like 55 kg and one child was 10 pounds and the other child was 12 pounds and it was just a schmozzle <sighs> and um and so I wanted to buy these bladder leak underwear and I couldn't find any in New Zealand at the time. So mm-hmm. I had to get my twin brother in Australia to send me over some. And I was like, oh, that's shit, but okay. Mm-hmm. And so then we did this um, long tramp and I was trying to sleep that one of the nights in, and we were in one of those Department of Conservation huts and I was on oh, a yeah. bunk bed and I don't know if you know them, but they've got these nasty thin mattresses and they're covered in really thick plastic, which is makes it impossible to sleep yes it's that crinkly sound they make too when you kind of turn around is that yeah. right yeah yeah mm-hmm. and they're hot and they're nasty anyway yeah. so um i was having trouble sleeping and then i was thinking through the night you know surely other people have bladder leaks and it can't just be me and then i thought you know out of habit i've just started wearing these disposable panty liners every day and sometimes i need them and sometimes i don't and it's a bit of a waste and i've probably i could be doing a lot better and i thought i Surely not everyone has a brother in Australia who can send yeah. over some bladder yes. leak underwear. And I thought, you know what? You should do this. You're passionate about bladder leaks. You know, you, I don't want to go back to my nine-to-five jobs. So I thought um, it's time to send my hubby back to work so I could focus on doing something for me that I was really, truly interested in. Mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that you're almost having this little 
um, brainstorming meeting with yourself in your mind oh, yeah. overnight, going, yes. you should do this. No, I don't really want to do it. What do you mean you should do this? Yeah, you should definitely do this. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'll be back to work. I'm imagining this conversation going on. Yeah. But I guess where do you go from there, from this thought bubble into actually making it happen and, and getting a physical product to exist that didn't used to exist before? How did you get started? It was quite a learning curve, I must say. I, mm-hmm. I definitely started with all the basic things, my business plan, my financials, my um, research, left, right and centre research mm-hmm. on every website and every person I could talk to about how to make them in the first place. Yeah. And and then I started to get a whole bunch of fabrics and I've got more fabrics now than I should possibly admit <laughs> to. But, um, so then I just started testing fabrics. Mm-hmm. Once you know, it's fabrics that we were in the right realm of possibility, and then I started testing different levels of fabrics and different. Oh, if there's you know, how many layers of this fabric and how many, mm-hmm. you know, so I just um, was test after test after test, and then I found a manufacturer, and then they started making prototypes for me. Oh, well, before that, I had to get a pattern maker to make the patterns that I liked, but it was a definitely from someone who hasn't come from a product background. I had to do a lot of internet research and a lot of learning and a lot of asking questions. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine, like, all, all of the things that you've just listed there pretty much is kind of like, oh, yeah, where do you, how do you find a pattern maker and how do yeah. you, you know, all that kind of thing. What about in terms of, I guess, more of the mindset side of things, were there challenges that came up for you around the thought of, actually becoming a business owner or were you so excited by the idea that you just kept moving forward? I think I was passionately excited and I was determined and I was really ready but I must say early on because in the lead up to it I had been contracting doing contracting work for government Mm -hmm. because I clearly had needed some kind of change so I had started in the contracting consulting area right and what happened was when I stopped accepting the contracts I kept getting called up or kept kept getting emailed every you know every third day or second day I've got this contract I've got this and so I had to constantly ask myself do I believe in myself enough to do this do I believe in myself enough or not because if I don't then take the work that's being offered because that's yeah. great and that's nice but if I do believe in myself then then say no to that and you know keep progressing forward so that was quite a big challenge initially but what I love about it, Tamsin, is that's a really good quality question to ask yourself. So you weren't asking, you know, things like, am I going to sell enough of them? You weren't asking things like, uh, you know, about the fabrics or, or the design or anything like that. Your, your priority checkpoint was actually about how much you were backing yourself. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Which is awesome because I think... If you can answer that question, even though, you know, it's natural to have some level of nervousness or reservation, if you can say, yeah, I do back myself, I do believe in myself, I do believe in this idea, then you will have the resilience to persevere, to find out whatever information you need about, well, how do I get prototypes made and which fabric is going to be the right one and all all of those things. You'll find the answers, but if you, you don't, back yourself if you don't believe in yourself enough then as soon as you hit something that's really challenging Mm. you'll you'll bail out 
And so yeah. I, I think that's, you know, a really great insight of the kind of caliber of person that you are, that you that you knew instinctively that that was a good question to ask yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then you've had to go through a lot of those logistical process challenges. How mm-hmm. long did it take you from uh, overnight camping trip epiphany to product that you could actually sell? Well, actually, I'm still in the prototype phase. So yeah. I it took arguably eight months longer than I would have normally well, eight months longer than I thought it would have, mm-hmm. I guess I should say. And obviously it didn't help with COVID at the moment. But yeah, not so helpful. Um, not so helpful. But I, so I'm on my third prototype. So let's, so I started in um, March, March mm-hmm. this year, and it is now December. So, and by the time I get my product, so it will be over a year of planning, getting all the preparation done for the business, getting all the prototypes and then getting the manufacturing done of the of the product. Yeah. Over a year. Yeah. And again, I think it's really good that you share that because I think people can sometimes have unrealistic expectations about how quickly things can happen. And we, we don't necessarily want them to, but things often take longer than we want them to. Yes, definitely. And for me, it's something, oh, I can't remember off the top, I think it's 75 days just for manufacturing and delivery. So whatever, you know, I've got to add another three months on to anything I sort of initially thought um, was possible. Yeah, and this is the thing, that even when you think, yeah, we're done, and it's like, yeah, great, then, now you start the 75 days. Yes, yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm ready now, though. Yeah, yeah. And so then when you, you mentioned about um, – you mentioned that you had moved in your previous work into contract working rather than employee working because you said that you needed a change. Yes. So yeah. tell me more about that. Was there some kind of inkling that you wanted to do something different but you just didn't know what it was yet? Or what do you think it was that you had a feeling that was driving you to, to move to contract working? Yeah, I, I was just... In a nutshell, I, I wanted more creative freedom and I wanted mm-hmm. more time freedom. And I was sick of sitting on the train every day next to people who were talking loudly on the phone or wearing strong perfume or, you know, sneezing or, you know, I, I was like, I need to mix this up a little. I need mm-hmm. to be able to work for different places and in different styles. And I guess I was also a little bit ready to focus on me, which meant I could be more flexible in what I chose and what I didn't choose. Yeah, great. And I so think, it's like a stepping stone, I guess. Yeah, awesome. And I think, again, it's a common theme from this interview series where whilst the specific situation and circumstances might have been different, but I feel like for many of the women that I've interviewed, it is something that gets to a point or kicks in at this 40-plus stage of yeah. really thinking about if I'm going to be working how do I do something that I actually care about? Yes. Definitely. How do I give myself a bit more of this time freedom? I I do find that I'm I can reflect a lot more on things now that I'm over forty. Just in a way with less um, concern. Mm-hmm. You know, I can reflect on it quite rationally and think, oh yeah, well that's okay, or that's not okay, or I can fix this, or I can't fix this, but I know the way forward. I, you know, with a less, well, I guess, um, emotional up and downs around it. Yeah, and I think often people that I speak to have an attitude of, oh, you know, I'm in my 40s, it's too late now for me to start my own thing. I should have done it in my 20s or 30s. Oh, what, yeah. what do you say to that? Oh, I think that it, 
I've still got, you know, um, 30 plus years of needing something to focus on mm-hmm. and and being able to prepare and do something that interests me. I, If I gave up now, I would be shortchanging myself forever, I think. And, yeah, I'm not ready to do that. Yeah. And, Tamsin, you got bored after three weeks. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> totally. just so me. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it is like in one of the previous podcast interviews, uh, one of my guests shared that she heard a quote from Jane Fonda who said that she believes that women have three acts and that, you know, when you get to your 40s and 50s, you're just sort of start, starting either the second act or the third act. And so totally. it's a, just a, a different framing, I think, as you say, of going, you know, there's another 30 odd years that you want to be doing something in some capacity that's yes. going to be keeping your brain stimulated. It may as well be something that you care about and that you get paid for if you can. Definitely. So uh, you've had this this process of getting to third prototype, which I'm sure has been challenging in lots of ways. What were some of the, other than, I guess, that process, what were some of the the challenges that you faced in shifting from that government employee environment into working for yourself? I think initially um, my friends and primarily my family around me were a bit like, oh, what are you doing? You know, my dad's like, you're going through a midlife crisis. And then he kept asking me for months, oh, so when are you going back to work? <laughs> you know, and I, my mum wanted me to explain everything and all my decisions in quite a lot of detail, which also made me sort of second guess myself. And it was, so initially one of the concerns was just trying to get people around me on board. Yes. With my what I was doing. And and I, I other elements probably were... Um, trying to be more patient mm-hmm. I I just wanted it to happen right then and there and I really had to go back to the you know it's a marathon not a sprint come on yeah. you've got you can't develop a product overnight especially with COVID around so you really need to um, step through the process yeah and it's so interesting because I think you know that was going to be a question I was going to ask about how other people around you responded oh yeah yeah and I wanted to find a, a partner early on. I was like, this would be great to be able to do with someone. Mm-hmm. But it, I guess the more I looked around, there wasn't necessarily anyone in my friendship circle who was in the right frame, space at the time. Yeah. Or, you know, and so it was quite hard to find, even looking further afield when I started to attend some events. It's, you know, I guess it's a bit like having being in a marriage, finding a partner, and I just couldn't find a partner. So I was like, oh. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to start doing this by myself and that's fine I'm happy to do that but it would be nice to have a um a sounding board every once in a while rather mm. than just sounding off myself. Yes. <laughs> Having another one of those meetings with yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I think is quite common is that when we're venturing into this kind of entrepreneurial business startup phase for the first time there is a tendency to want to bring others in in some capacity because it feels a bit safer or it it does give you that um, sense of connection but it but it actually uh, in many instances can be a bigger risk because it's rare to find someone who actually really is on the same page or enough of the same page as you who shares similar set of values in terms of 
work and, and sharing the load and responsibility. And then you add in all of the money stuff as well in terms of different people's association with money. I know lots of stories of people, for example, that decided to create some sort of partnership, but then it just rapidly ended up that one of them was doing pretty much all of the heavy lifting and all of the work and the other one was just wanting to take the money. <laughs> yeah. And and so yeah. I, I think that it's worth exploring for yourself what the the reason is for wanting to have a partner and asking that question of am I prepared to do this on my own? Because even if you do decide, hey, there is benefits and I found a great partner, you want to have enough gumption I guess that you would say well even if I don't have someone to do it with I'm still going to do it myself because that's going to help you moving forward rather than just almost having that buddy system that you'll only put in as much as they put in or whatever else comes with the uh, partnership approach rather than making it your own yeah definitely and trying to find you know those right people because as you said you're looking around your friendship circle not seeing um anyone necessarily who's at that point did you have many friends or family or connections that were business owners in some capacity or not 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 many a few Mm. and far between when Mm. I looked around I was like wow I never I hadn't really ever thought about it before but no I I don't necessarily um surround myself with a bunch of I guess entrepreneurs yeah (laughs) for example so yeah it was it was a bit of a like eye-opening I oh Okay, well, that's good to know. I, you, I become friends with people who are friends with your children and and wider circles where you can do group activities together. And then, I don't know, for me, it just didn't end up that way. Yeah, and look, a lot of people, that's the case. They, they don't have anyone, unless they've grown up in a family where perhaps, you know, one of their parents was a business owner or things like that. Most people seem to say that, you know, when they look around, they realise, oh, the majority of people that I know are, are employees, which adds yes. to that element of challenge of, of that kind of person doesn't necessarily understand the, the sorts of challenges that you will be facing. And, you know, one of my clients uh, shared with me a while ago that she'd been in her business for seven years or something. And one of her biggest frustrations was actually that her whole friend group were all employees in in various industries and all of that and when they would catch up socially none of them really were that interested in her talking about her business or if she tried to they didn't really get it and she found that frustrating and isolating because she just felt like there was part of a big part of her life that actually they just couldn't be a part We're of about yeah, yeah. Yes. whereas they would be happily talking about the water cooler stuff from work and all that sort of thing and it's that's when you realize that actually there's there is a different kind of mindset at play with people who are prepared to go down this this road of starting a business compared to people who might look at that like it sounds like maybe your mum and dad were looking at it going why would you do this you had a great kind of work yes. situation and it was secure and now you're you, what are you what are you doing I don't understand how are you going to make money <laughs> and look our friends and family can I think want the best the best for us but if they if they're not entrepreneurial minded then for them it can just trigger a whole lot of red flags yeah definitely yeah especially the you know questions well how are you going to differentiate yourself from the competition or how mm-hmm. you know like uh, <laughs> 
uh, treating me like I was on the other side of the panel from a, I don't know, a shark tank. Exactly. <laughs> so I was constantly, constantly ask, answering questions about, you know, what about this? Well, what about that? And, you know. Yes. Uh, and look, sometimes it can be good to have people that, you know, are not just going to blindly say, Tamsin, this is great. Good on you. It's all going to be hearts and flowers. Yeah, and that's all, true. And that by having people that are, I guess, being a bit, uh, what's the word? Um, Pushing me to respond or answer yes. constant questions. I did. I had to think fast. I had to think on my feet and have the answers ready. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have the answer, then it's like, okay, that's a good question. I need to ponder that. How would I answer exactly. that question? Yeah. So I, I think it's a good thing to, to look at and go, well, actually, they, they were kind of coaching you to yes. to test you again about your, your level of resolve. And these are some important distinctions in business. And so what's your position on that? So, yeah, you know, they're, they're doing it with love. Yes, it certainly made me focus on certain things that were important, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, great. And so what about any other learning curves that you look back and you go, oh, that was that was something that I, I didn't expect to have to deal with or that would come up? I mean, there there were a lot of learning curves. There were there were a lot of things where I think, oh, I would, I wish I knew that, mm-hmm. for example. Um I wish I knew to add at least eight months onto my timeline to accommodate for everything I don't know. Or I wish I had started building my email list from day one. Yeah. You know, so that I could start interacting, you know, for the people who I interact with early on, so I could start sending out my monthly newsletter to them so mm-hmm. they could know about my progress. Or I wish I'd gone to, rather than all of the trouble I went to to find a manufacturing factory, I wish I'd actually just gone to the economic development agency in the country, the government economic development agency, and asked for recommendations from them within my field of specialty. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's so many things I wish I'd known. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly about product development, and mm-hmm. it would have really been helpful. I um, I did join the mentorship program in New Zealand, but I they didn't have a manufacturing mentor, and so I struggled quite early on about the manufacturing component just to get the elements down pat that I needed to know, you know, first you need to do this and, you know, all the steps of the prototype and then the mm-hmm. line sample and then the, how they would source the fabric and how you really wanted them to be able to source the fabric rather than sourcing it from somewhere else. And, yeah, one of the hardest parts was I found the perfect fabrics that I wanted, but they were not in the right country for when my, where my factory was. So then I had to get the right fabrics from the right country. And I was just like, oh. Yeah, so you thought you'd, you'd resolved that question, but you had to start over. Yeah. Mm. And this is the thing that, that I'm curious about because you have a product-based business, whereas uh, service-based businesses don't have that, uh, I guess, that high level of the logistical and manufacturing process. They will still have a lot of similar foundational things, like you said, the business plan and the research and, you know, even defining what their offers are. So it's not like, you know, they don't have any of that. But producing a physical product adds a whole nother layer and dimension that doesn't exist for for service businesses or not in the same way. Some people have said to me, oh, I think having a product-based business would be way easier than a service business. What's your thoughts on that? I think probably in the long run, it potentially could be mm-hmm. actually. As in, if I have a when a 
Shopify is up and running and the website's good to go and I've got my marketing plans and I've got the people that I employ, I think potentially it could be a more of a straightforward process mm -hmm. with less ups and downs of things that are um, unknown. But initially setting it up, a lot more time consuming, I think, and a bit more of a rigmarole. Yeah, and the, the way that I think about it, when, when somebody did say to me that, you know, they were looking at it from a marketing perspective and, and saying to themselves, oh, if, if I was selling a product rather than selling a service, it would be so much easier. And my stance back to them was that, you know, that may well be true. There's still marketing that has to be done for a product. But mm. also, I guess it's looking at it that a product has that initial planning and development phase as perhaps being a lot longer. And as you say, the tail end might be once you're up and running, it will uh, perhaps be a, an, a smoother or easier process. The service-based side is a faster to, to market and yes. then there's that ongoing, well, I'm selling something that's intangible, depending on what the service is. So I think they both have pros and cons. So it's less yeah. about one being better or easier, or easier. yeah, mm -hmm. and more about actually what do you care about enough that you're prepared to push through the challenges, whatever the challenges are. Mm, definitely. As we said earlier. Yeah. Okay. It's good to get your perspective as someone who's, you know, in the throes of the product development side of a product. Yeah. <laughs> so what about one of the other questions that I think or concerns that tends to hold people back who perhaps have an idea or the startings of an idea, but fear kicks in for them about getting started is that if they're in a secure job and I have to say secure with, um, parentheses if that's what they're called uh, because you know I don't know that there are too many really really secure jobs these days but if they're in that that job situation and then they've got this idea one of the first fears that comes up for people often is how am I going to pay myself how am I going to make enough money and how knowing that you know it might take time to get to a point where sales are coming in and there's profit there how did you approach the financial side of starting a business was that something that was an issue for you to think about how did you approach it uh there was a huge issue i i think um it was quite an educational learning curve as well for myself and the whole family yeah um because what i did was i, I set up a separate bank account and i said anything that i'm earning i'm going to put straight into this separate bank account and make it as a savings for when i want to pr purchase the product and so anything else that comes in from my husband's work um, has to be the living expenses. Mm -hmm. And he earned, earns a lot less than I did. And I, and I do, I guess I should say, mm -hmm. do, did, whatever. I, um, and so we did. We had to stop a lot of things. I had to, you know, I was in a routine where I would get a massage once a month sort of thing or yeah. regularly get my hair done or buy clothes. Instantly there was no clothes. There was no massage. There was no hair done. There was no eating out anymore we stopped holidays we didn't go skiing we didn't you know everything stopped and mm. I, I said look I because I did have a good discussion with the family about it before I started the business I said look if I'm going to do this we're going to have to be really knuckle down for at least two years until mm. I can make sure that we, I can have a go of it 
And so they, the boys, my children, went out and got a paper round and they, you know, instantly awesome. stopped asking for stuff. And it was quite amazing how much less we spent. You know, yeah. we didn't, it, we don't, I never buy lunch, I never buy coffee. And we just instantly stopped spending. And um, it was, yeah, I was like, gosh, we spent a lot of money on crap. Yeah. Before, yeah. we're terrible. Isn't it interesting? And look, you know, I'm uh, a big one for, you know, we could probably do a whole uh, episode just talking about the money side of things with starting your own business. It's really interesting about the different approaches that people bring. But this path that you've just described of having a bit of a family meeting, whether the family is you and your cat or you and your husband or you and husband, partner and, and kids, to actually talk about here's here's what we're thinking and here's the impact of that. And when you then start to look at, all right, well, at the very least, I'm going to do a bit of a review of what we spend money on now and decide what are the things that we want to continue to spend money on that we feel good about and think is, is a wise uh, purchase or expense and what are the things that maybe we could let go of. And that process of inquiry is actually good for people to do, I think, regardless of whether they're starting a business or not, can reveal so much about where money goes that you don't think about, especially when you are used to earning a kind of a decent, healthy uh, income, that you just kind of, you don't think about, oh, there's 10 bucks here and 20 bucks, oh, let's just do, oh yeah, there's 150 bucks or whatever, you don't think about it. But when you need to, or you make it important enough to do and you start to review, that is where you start to realise I completely forgot about that subscription yes, that I set up five years ago that just comes out of my credit card and how quickly those incremental nice-to-have things add up and therefore how you can cut back on things without feeling like, oh, I'm on the poverty line. Yeah, yeah. It was, And it was really good for the whole family, even my husband who, you know, he would he cooks dinner every night. He's like, well, I did this dish for this much money, you know. <laughs> Good job, guys. We're yeah. in this together. <laughs> Go team. Yeah. Yeah, and look, I think there's also something about th that kind of time frame and conversation that can be really good both for partnerships to be talking about money and where our money goes and how do we feel about that and are there things that we could cut back on without feeling like, you know, we're um, – being really mean because there is a difference I think between saying to yourself wow I get two coffees a day I buy my lunch three times a week and I do whatever and that adds up to how many hundred bucks a month you know could I drop back to once a week buying my lunch out and even if it's not the whole thing goes away but just considering it actually opens up the ability to redirect money either into savings or to cover other expenses that are more important to you given where you're at in life. So I think that's a really important thing to do for yourself as an individual, for a partnership. But from a family perspective, it opens up some really interesting learning opportunities, I think, for kids. And this is delicate territory for me because I don't have kids. I have a puppy who, thank goodness, is asleep right now. But I'm a big believer that having money conversations with kids early helps them to actually understand and learn about and value money. Whereas if everything's very comfortable all the time and they just get you know what they want most of the time, then it can be too easy for them to actually not appreciate 
where money comes from and what it's for and and all of that and in fact having this conversation and noticing that straight away they're like well what's another way i can make money great i'll go do yes. a paper round that's brilliant because they're starting to look at oh well, okay i put you know this inquiry out there and i'm you know get this paper round and i earn my money and i think it's actually really good there's a lot of upside to looking at ways to cut back yeah definitely and also i mean my children they they really were initially oh what do you mean i can't get that game or what do you mean i can't yeah. do this and i said well you can earn it definitely and so we did a job list and and because i had to stop the cleaning lady which i gotta say was one of the hardest things to stop it's gotta be the they, first thing back on the list uh, yeah definitely <laughs> but <laughs> i um so it would, we, we did this job list stuff and there was things like you know clean the bathroom which is a dollar fifty but if you do a great job then it's two dollars or Ooh, vacuum the yep. floor and it's this much so they have now you know been doing a lot of jobs on the weekend and it's really quite good because it means that they are less messy because then they realize oh <laughs> maybe i don't need to put to you know um toothpaste on the sink because actually then i'm gonna have to clean i'm up. gonna have to clean up tamsin <laughs> you have stumbled on child rearing gold yeah <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure lots of other people do that <laughs> <laughs> brilliant and look you know the money thing is is it a you know a factor to be considered and I think that it's it's worth anyone who's listening really putting some dedicated time into thinking about what's your money strategy going to be regardless of whether you're looking at a product-based business or a service-based business it's going to take time as you said that was one of the challenges that things took longer than you thought or hoped it's going to take time so build in a, a long enough runway where you know that you can survive reasonably well whilst you're building your business up because the worst thing that I think you can do is to get all excited about an idea convince yourself that it's going to be you know the next I don't know Tesla uh, and that people are suddenly just going to you know be throwing money at you and to have a plan and a strategy about how you're going to live whilst you let the business run you've shared that really it's probably going to be about a year between idea concept stage and actually having a product that might be your first offering others in a service-based business they might be able to go faster than that however to not be unrealistic about what the profit is likely to be and certainly not to be comparing well how quickly can i earn the same amount of money as i was from my you know super successful career that i had yes yeah so having some kind of you know buffer cash cushions as i like to call them you know uh, i tend to think that depending on your situation and depending on your business model that you want to have at least six months and i know that people don't like hearing that but at least six months of living money saved before you would think about cutting off any other kind of source of income in fact it probably would be better if you had 12 months but for some people that might be not possible but to to be thinking to yourself oh i've got you know two or three months worth of money to to cover myself i just think is too close to the wire and puts too much pressure on because nothing is going to handbrake your creativity faster than feeling financial stress. 
Yeah, totally agree. And I must say, you can burn through the money really quickly oh in three months. Oh, my goodness, you so can. <laughs> and that's the thing, that, again, the, all the things, that, as you said, that you, you don't know that you don't know yeah. can be a trap too of not realising, you know, the costs that need to be covered, even with something that you think, oh, this will be pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward. There's always expenses that you don't think about, don't know about. So you want to, I think, have a really healthy kind of approach to the financial side of things before you um, go too far down the rabbit hole definitely mm. so who is your product for you've you've mentioned that it, it's absorbing underwear mm-hmm. have yes. you kind of fleshed out you know your different audience profiles yet yeah well initially I started for females age 35 to 70 and mm-hmm. I was really quite focused primarily on the bladder leak underwear yeah um and then I started looking into it and I was like, okay, well, I would definitely do period underwear as well because I know a lot of the teenagers around me, they are still wearing the bike shorts. They don't necessarily want to use um, a tampon or anything like that. They would rather use underwear and not a bulky pad because they do have such, you know, they wear leg- leggings all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, I've got to expand my reach and I've, it's got to be more than that. And But then I, I started this Facebook support group and it's, you know, it's, it's incontinence and light bladder leakage tips, support and shared stories. And what I initially thought was it was just going to be with females, but the because one in three females have bladder leaks. But then the majority of people who started joining were men. I was like, wow, who knew? Oh, interesting. Yeah, and young men who have had like bike accidents or motorbike accidents or, you know, people with epilepsy or neurological disorders or, you know, um, later and a bit later, Parkinson's or elements like that, where they're all, you know, different degrees of bladder leaks. But it was, I was like, wow. So I've really got to get into the men's boxer shorts, but I'm not there yet. But it was, yeah. So interesting how, and this I, I think can happen is where you can have an idea and, and you think you know who it's going to be for, but it's only when you actually get started and you put something out there, whatever it is, whether it's a uh, a, a beta pilot test of something uh, or uh, as you say like starting a a Facebook support group it's only when you put something out there and you see who's responding who's connecting and for what that actually that's market intel right there that you know can open up as you have found a whole different market that even though there's overlap in terms of the product function one of the things that I'm a fan of is having a bias towards action. So I love the fact that you set up that Facebook group because that then gives you insight into what are the sorts of questions that people have, what are the sorts of issues, so that you can be keeping those in mind with developing your product. Yes, yeah. I think that's really great. There is the risk, though, of diversifying your thinking too much so are you planning on going to market with one product initially or what's the initial offering going to be yeah and i guess here's probably a good point of where where it would be handy right now to have a a partner or a business advisory group or a mentor right now but yeah um, so my my question right now that i'm trying to debate or tackle is so i've got four styles Mm -hmm. and that's you know, bikini, and then I've got hipster boy leggers, and then I've got mid-rise and high-rise. And then on top of the four styles, I've got three absorbencies, so light absorbency, moderate, and heavy. And I've stuck there, and I've said, okay, I'm starting with black and black only at the moment. But even that, and even though it's one product, essentially, 
um, there's a lot of aspects to it which makes it when you're ordering a bulk order a good a, quite a lot of product mm-hmm. and so I'm um, I'm trying to work out how I guess risk averse that's probably not the right way to say it but how confident I am that the product you know I've done a lot of testing now I've done all these three rounds of testing and I've sent them out to people to test all the time mm-hmm. how confident am I in the product and should I order all of these styles with all of these absorbencies or should I just start small and make sure that I've got it down pat completely first? <laughs> yeah, and and what this is is, is a, an example of one of the many decision cross points that when you're in business, these are the sorts of things that you need to consider and get to a point of, of making a decision on because, you know, there's pros and cons for both, which loops back to that question, as you said, about, you know, having, having a partner or having people around you that you can connect into who are in business who kind of get they may not get all of the manufacturing and all of the specifics of your business but they do understand some of those um, dynamics of all right well here's the where it gets more and more complex and to help you make decisions yes definitely so Tamsin I'm really excited about the product I love the fact that you've already got some community engagement happening with the Facebook support group and that you're working towards that uh, next iteration of the prototype, hopefully early next year. If people are interested in finding out more about the product, following your journey, maybe joining your support group, how do they connect with you? How do they find out more? So the product page is vivobodywear.com mm-hmm. and same on the Facebook, vivobodywear.com as well as Instagram. The Facebook support group is incontinence slash light bladder leakage tips, support and shared stories. It's a bit of a mouthful, I know. <laughs> but good for SEO. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. yeah. Uh, which is something, you know, when you're wanting to be found, you want to make sure that terms that people might be curious about and looking on Facebook, are there any groups for this? Then, you know, you want to have some of those key terms in there. So even though it's a mouthful, obviously people are finding it, which is good. So Tamsin, what about any other final thoughts as you look back on your almost a year of experience in this transition into being the founder and CEO of your own business? Are there any final thoughts or tips that you'd have for someone who perhaps has got a bit of an idea or an aspiration to one day have their own thing, but they're on the fence or they're not sure how to get started? What sort of thoughts have you got for them? I think it's probably um, that, in my opinion, it's all about attitude and determination. And Mm -hmm. I think that you make your own luck and you make your own opportunities and and your life is really what you make it. So whenever you can say yes, say yes. And even if this puts you out of your comfort zone or it's just I think if you're unhappy with where things are at, then I think it's important to make some changes immediately, even if they're tweaks. And I think it's also important not to wait for luck to come to you. But by having a positive attitude, I think it will just can make all the difference. Yeah, beautiful. And I think you know, you're one of those examples of where there was something in you that was twitching a bit or whatever of saying there's there's some kind of change that you're looking something for, more, yeah. wanting something more, wanting more creativity, freedom, wanting more time and flexibility, freedom, and that you made that decision to move to contract work rather than uh, employee contract. Even that, I think, energetically sends a bit of a message to the universe 
if that's not too woo-woo for people or to yourself, that actually I'm, I'm making some changes from what I've been doing for 20 years and I'm open to seeing what that might be. I think those those sorts of changes are significant even if on the surface they seem relatively small. So I really support what you've said about if there's an inkling of maybe my next chapter is going to be my own thing, what's a small step that you could make, whether it's yeah. starting to brainstorm the idea a little bit more or do some research about what's out there or you know connect with a coach to try and articulate what this idea might be or start to do a simple business plan any kind of small steps that you can take I think get you started and just like you getting started with the Facebook group before you've got product to sell is fantastic because it's action you can take and it gives you great information that also supports you as well so you always learn way more from taking action than from just thinking about something yeah definitely yeah awesome Tamsin I'm really excited to see how things continue to evolve for you into early next year and I'll be sure to make sure that I include links to your website and socials in the show notes so people can uh, click on those and find you really uh, easily so thank you so much for making the time to uh, be part of this podcast series I really appreciate it's been great hearing your story no thank you I really I really value being able to talk Thanks so much, Tamsin. That's it for another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. But before you go, I just want to tell you about a great new free resource. If you are early in your business and you want to make sure that you're focusing on the right things at the right time to make sure that your business is profitable as quickly as possible, then you want to go and grab a brand new ebook that I have created, which is called the Top 4 priority focus areas for a profitable first year in business. In this ebook, I have compiled experience and insights from my over five years in business, as well as from more than 40 interviews with successful women in business and conversations with other women in business that are in my network. And I have summarized all that experience into the top four areas that you need to focus on so you can really create a business that delivers the kind of income and lifestyle that you're looking for. You can get that ebook for free at thetransitlounge.com forward slash top four. I'll be sure to put the link to that into the show notes to make it easy for you to get. So go get it, have a read, then come and join the private Facebook group and tell me which one of the four areas do you think you would benefit from more help with. I'll look out for your comment in the group. Have a great week.